when you try me with a mediocre question, that's the result you're going to get. <laughs> uh, starting left fielder. Uh, Ichiro. No! God, please, no! No! There is some potential there if he would just, I don't know, use his brain. Um, <laughs> because, especially, I mean, come on, man. Jerry Depoto's the GM. Who the hell knows? Looking out my window and this FedEx driver just hit a tree. You are no gentleman. And neither are you. Hey guys, welcome back to the Soto Mojo podcast. This is Colby Patnode, and I am unfortunately not joined by Ty Gonzalez today. Uh, Ty is working off a little cold there. He uh, does not sound too good, so for the benefit of his throat and for your guys' listening pleasure, uh, he's going to sit out this week and hopefully be back next week uh, so we can talk some uh, Mariners baseball. And, you know, thankfully nothing major happened with the Mariners and a lot since the last time we talked. So um, it gives us a chance to kind of, you know, just sit here and uh, answer a few of your questions. We put out the call for questions about an hour before we started recording. We got quite a few. Um, so let's work our way through them. Uh, I'm not sure how long this podcast is going to be. Um, again, without uh, Ty, it's just kind of a one-sided conversation. Uh, so, you know, um, Length of podcast, I don't know. It might be normal. It might be a regular time. It might just be, you know, 20 minutes or so. Um, but like I said, we are going to answer some questions today. Uh, but before we do, I, I hope you guys allow me to take a minute here to uh, remind you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss any new episodes. Uh, go ahead and follow us on Twitter at SotoMojoFS. You can like our page on Facebook. And most importantly, visit SotoMojo.com uh, for all the Mariners news, uh, rumors, I, trade ideas, you know, basically anything that happens in the world of the Seattle Mariners, we're going to write about it. Uh, and you can follow us, our work there at uh, SotoMojo.com. Uh, also, if you guys are interested in joining the SotoMojo team, we're always looking for writers. Um, and if you're interested in applying for that, then just go ahead and uh, send us a, a message on Twitter. And we will help you through that process. So it's a busy time of the year for us. We're always looking for content writers. Um, it's just a really fun community to be a part of and talk some Mariners baseball. So if you're interested in that, again, uh, best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, at SotoMojoFS. Uh, if you guys go to the website, uh, right now we have our off-season plan up. It is live as of, uh, let's see, two days ago now. Um, pretty good response rate on that, guys. I worked really hard on it. Uh, I hope you enjoy it, and uh, we have a bunch of other fun stuff up there, too. So go ahead and go to SotoMojo.com for all of that. Now, let's get to what uh, you guys probably care about more is me answering a few of your questions. So let's uh, let's dive right on, right on in. All right, so um, let's let's answer these in the question or in the order that they came. Let's see. Um, good buddy Oliver, uh, he sends us uh, a tweet here. Um, he would like to know what the ideal trade package is for Daniel Vogelback. Um, so this is kind of an interesting question. You guys probably know our affinity for uh, Daniel Cornelius Vogelbaum's Vogelback. Uh, we're big fans of him here. Not not quite as big as uh, Colton Swanson is, but... Uh, we really do enjoy watching Vogelback play. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting question. I, I think, uh, you know, not, not a ton of Mariner fans are uh, going to like the idea of them trading Daniel Vogelback. It is something that we put in our offseason plan um, as a sort of, as a sort of compromise. Uh, we couldn't decide or we couldn't agree on uh, trading Domingo Santana or Daniel Vogelback. So we just kind of put them both in there and, let you guys decide which package you would prefer. Um, in the offseason plan, if I remember correctly, we have Daniel Vogelback being traded to the Cleveland Indians for Scott Moss, who's a 25-year-old left-handed uh, starting pitcher in AAA. Um, and honestly, I think when you're talking about Daniel Vogelback trade, there's a few things that work in his favor, right? 
He's going to take walks. We know this. He can hit home runs. We know that. He was an all-star this year, which, you know, certainly doesn't hurt his value at all. Uh, We also know that he has five years left of club control, I believe. Uh, He might have just surpassed the... uh, the uh, limit to add an extra year. So he's got at least four years of club control left, probably five. Um, and he's, you know, he's in his mid twenties. So he's good age. So those are the positives, right? He takes walks, hits home runs, uh, cheap, controllable, uh, good at what he does. There are a few problems with that, with a uh, Vogel back too, as you guys well know, um, pretty much a liability on the field. You can only play him at first base, and even there, he's not great. He's a, pretty much a pure DH only, uh, which does limit his value in trade. I mean, there's not really much of a reason for a National League team to be interested in Daniel Vogelback unless they are rebuilding and think that Vogelback can play first base, at least for a couple of years, um, which is kind of where the Mariners are at, kind of not. Um so, yeah, I mean, there, there's some issues there. Obviously, the big issue is the slump in the second half. He was terrible after the All-Star break. There's really no way around it, and he would tell you that. Um, there's also some issues. He doesn't seem like he's going to be able to hit lefties on too much of a regular basis. But, again, this was his first full year in the big leagues. Um, so it's it's pretty easy to expect there to be some growth, and I think he'll, I think he'll find his level. I think – the true Daniel Vogelback is somewhere in the middle of that first half uh, Vogelback versus second half. So I don't want to sit here and say that he has no value. He might have a value. He might have value on the trade market. It's just that his market is going to be limited. Um, I mean, just think about how many teams uh, are need a first baseman. How many playoff contenders need a first baseman? There's not a lot of them. So, in in particular, a first baseman who, you know, shouldn't really be playing first base. Look at the teams who need DHs. That's probably the better question. You start looking at playoff contenders who could use DHs. Um, let's see. Boston has J.D. Martinez. The Yankees have so many outfielders that they don't really need a full-time DH. Tampa Bay, maybe. Tampa Bay's a maybe they might need one. They have a pretty good depth, though, so I don't I don't think they're going to go out there and buy one. Um, you know, you look at Houston, they're not going to be interested. Minnesota has Nelson Cruz, they're not going to be interested. Um, you know, and then again, we talked about the difficulty of finding a partner in the National League for Vogelback. Uh, to me, that kind of leaves Cleveland, and even Cleveland's not the perfect fit. Um, they have Carlos Santana at first base. Uh, he can DH. They have Jake Bowers at first base, too. Um, there's just not a big fit there. So, for me, I think the overwhelming probability is that Daniel Vogelback stays with the Mariners um, and is your essential full-time DH this year. He'll, he'll play a little at first base, uh, particularly early, before Evan White gets called up. But I think he's going to be your primary DH this year just because there's not much of a market. And if he goes out and he repeats the first half of 2019 and he does it for an entire season, then next winter this could be a different conversation. But for now, I just don't see much of a market there. So for me to trade Daniel Vogel back right now, um, I would have to be getting something I think pretty, pretty similar to Scott Moss at least. Otherwise, it's not worth it for the Mariners. It's not. If you can get somebody who can either come out of your bullpen this year, has you know four or five years of club control, can be a solid bullpen bullpen guy now, has a little bit of upside, or maybe even the Scott Moss type, who may be a four A 4A starter, who is better off in the bullpen. Um, I think that's pretty much the most you could expect for Daniel Vogelback. Um, and if that's what you can get, it might be better to keep him. Like I said, he's not he's not completely worthless. You do have roster space for him. I just giving him away for what he's probably going to be worth. 
I just don't see it. I don't see it. Um, if you can get something for Vogelback, I think it's probably going to max out at Scott Moss, that type of that type of pitcher. You know, somebody who's probably ready to pitch in the big leagues, probably more of a swing guy than he is a starter um, or a pure reliever. And those guys have value. So, I mean, um, you look at the guys like Ryan Yarborough. You look at guys like um, Yanni Chirinos, even both from Tampa Bay. Those guys kind of swing back and forth from the bullpen to the rotation in Tampa. And they're valuable pieces. They can really help your ball club. Um, but I think that's the absolute most you could expect. And if that's the case, I don't really see, see the point in trading Vogel back. So um, that's part of the discussion that was uh, that was had over the offseason plan, uh, that, that little debate that we had internally and we took to Twitter. Um, I just don't see Vogelback getting all that much uh, interest this winter. So I think it's probably better off that they, that they keep him. But if they are going to trade him, I think the most you can hope for is a you know a a swing guy bullpen to starter an Erasmo Ramirez type um, somebody who can do a little bit of both uh, and if you can get that and it makes sense then fine I'm I, like I'm not opposed to trading Daniel Vogel back I'm opposed to giving him away and I don't think the Mariners are going to do that anyways but I think that's where we stand right now so thanks for the question Oliver. Um, Let's go ahead and let's move on to, uh, let's see. Let's move on to at SlimMoon67 on Twitter. Uh, interesting Twitter handle there. Slim wants to know which prospect in the system, which prospects in the system are most likely to be trade bait. Um, honestly, I don't know that any of them are going to be trade bait this winter. I think, um, you know, the Mariners really like their their core, uh, their prospect group. I, I don't see them just, you know, trading them willy-nilly. I think, you know, out of, what type of prospects could be used in trades? I think it's probably the relievers. Your Art Warrens, your Joey Gerbers, your Wyatt Mills, um, your Sam Delaplanes. I think maybe one or two of those guys gets moved. Um, for you know, possibly a starting pitcher or maybe a veteran outfielder, uh, something like that. But I, I, I don't really think there's going to be a ton of prospects moved uh, this winter. If you want, if you want to know who I think the best prospect is that could be moved, um, I think there's some scenarios where trading a, uh, well, let's there's there's scenarios where trading anybody could be viable, but. Let's stick in the land of reality here a little bit. I, I think, you know, the highest plausible prospect I could see getting dealt, it, you know, depending on where how you have them ranked or whatever, I think it's possible you see Jake Fraley or Kyle Lewis. I think that's a possibility that you could see one of those guys traded. I think for this winter, at least, I think that Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, Logan Gilbert, Evan White, Justin Dunn, Justice Sheffield, Shed Long. I, I think those guys are pretty safe. Um, I don't think they're going anyway. Same, uh, same with George Kirby. I, I just I don't I don't see them going anywhere. Cal Raleigh, probably not. But I I think that's kind of where I start to say, well, maybe you know that that's a possibility, but I don't think so. Um, I think really if they're going to trade prospect up, it's either going to be from the bullpen or it's going to be from the outfield. And, you know, if we're talking outfield, then I I think Jake Fraley and Braden Bishop and Kyle Lewis are kind of the three that are, you know, the biggest names that might move. So um, I, just, I don't really see the point in trading the prospects right now unless you're getting a reasonably high upside Starting pitcher like John Gray from the Rockies, that's a possibility. Um, but other than that, I mean, maybe a Chris Archer type too, somebody like that. But there's just not much incentive for the Mariners to go out and trade from their prospect depth right now. I mean, what's the benefit of them going out and trading away Kyle Lewis and his six years of club control for 
you know, two years of John Gray, if that's what it ends up being, uh, what's the benefit for the Mariners? Because do they get better in 2020? Yeah, they probably do. Um, do they get better in 2021? Yeah, maybe. Uh, probably. But then after that, you know, you can't count on John Gray re-signing. You also can't count on John Gray to be good. Uh, I, I think he probably would be. Um, but you can't count on it. You certainly can't count on it. So um, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you're, unless the Mariners think either, A, the player they are acquiring for these prospects is going to be here past uh, the first year of their window. Remember, the Mariners want to be competitive by 2021, uh, which I think which I think means, you know, playing for a wild card spot, being on the outside, you know, being right there on the on the fringe of a wild card spot. But 2022 or 20, sorry, uh, 2022 is probably the first year they're thinking, hey, maybe we can win the division. So if a player's not going to be there in 2022, it's really tough to to justify trading those prospects. So, um, you know, certainly there are some, you know, relief prospects are a lot easier to find, and the Mariners are pretty good at finding and developing them. So th- those are those are pretty easy to trade. You might trade those away for your, you know, your Tanner Rourke, uh, Tanner Rourke uh, type of pitcher. I don't know why I can't say Rourke, uh, but you know, that type of arm to help get you through the season, then maybe flip midseason for an outfield prospect. Um, I think that's a possibility, and that would come from trading, you know, Art Warren, Reggie McLean, Zach Grotz, Wyatt Mills, all the guys we talked about earlier. Um, so I think that's probably the most likely prospect uh, group to get traded this winter. Um, if you're asking who I think the highest-rated prospect who has a chance to be dealt this winter is, I think it's probably that somebody in that Jake Fraley, Kyle Lewis, Braden Bishop group. I don't know that any of them get traded. Again, you have to if you're going to trade those guys, you have to get a piece that helps you beyond 2021, um, or at least a piece that you think you can help, and then flip a little bit later. It's like buying a house um, that was foreclosed on, and you flip it. You you know you fix it up, you make it prettier, and then you flip it like three months later and you try to turn a profit. If you're going to do that, then you can talk about trading Kyle Lewis and um, Jake Fraley and Braden Bishop. And that's still a risk because if you can't flip that guy for more than you gave up, there's a chance you give, you've given up a good player who can help you in your competitive window for somebody who's not going to. And that's the risk the Mariners have to decide whether or not they want to take. By all indications, they're probably not going to take that risk. Um, I think they, they should at least once or twice this offseason. That's why I'm on board with trading for Chris Archer. I'm on board with trading for John Gray. You know, if they can get that guy in on a reasonable price, um, then I'm in because there's a decent chance that you can turn them into something uh, that helps you in 2020 and may also recoup that prospect cost that you gave up to acquire them. So um, if the Mariners are going to do that, uh, I'm in. I'm perfectly fine with that. But if they're not going to do that, then, I mean, probably just makes sense to, you know, trade away some some prospect depth and just stick to trading guys off of your big league roster and signing their replacements to one- or two-year deals in free agency. That probably makes more sense. So um, it's a good question, I, I think. But, like, to answer it definitively, uh, the prospects in the system that are most likely to be trade bait I think are going to be the relievers and the outfielders not named Julio Rodriguez or Jared Kelnick. So I hope that answers your question, and uh, thank you for it. So let's go ahead. Let's move on to Long Live the King on Twitter. <laughs> uh, great handle. Uh, at Daw, uh, at Dawes Scott. Uh, so I'm assuming your name is Scott Dawes, Scott Daw. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> uh, Scott asked, or I'll, I'll just call him King. Uh, King asked, if the Mariners were, were the second-highest payroll in baseball next year, would they make the playoffs? I don't know. I mean, how who do they get to, to make them the second-highest payroll in baseball? Be the second-highest payroll in baseball, we're talking adding, as of right now, 
roughly $100 million in payroll. Um, so who are they adding with that money? I, if I don't know that, I can't really answer the question. Um, I'm guessing $100 million AAV probably gets you Garrett Cole, um, Anthony Rendon, and Zach Wheeler, maybe. Um, and if you added those three to this 2020 roster, uh, they still wouldn't be a playoff team. <laughs> I mean, it's – you had Cole and Strasburg. Uh, you definitely get a lot better, and you're probably, you know, an 81-ish – you're probably about a 500 team, and that depend, and then the rest depends on who steps up, who develops. Um, but, no, I, I just – I don't think the Mariners are going to be able to buy their way into contention – um, anytime soon. So that's why the, the the payroll itself doesn't really matter because you can go out and you can trade for Yoannis Cespedes and greatly impact your payroll number, but it's not going to help you win, right? You go trade for Cespedes and David Price, is that going to automatically make you better in 2020? No, it's not. And besides all that, we're talking about adding three players to a 26-man roster that is at least – you know, six, seven players away from being playoff ready, at least. It's not going to help because then you're going to be out of money to go get the other three or four guys. So, no, I, I don't think adding payroll is the is the answer here, um, at least to making the playoffs towards 2020. Now, if the Mariners want to go out and spend money on, you know, Garrett Cole, yeah, I'm fine with that. Like, okay, sure, fun. Um but Garrett Cole's not going to want to come here. Anthony Rendon's not going to want to come here. Steven Strasburg's not going to want to come here. And just because you like it here doesn't mean they will. You know, I, I got into this debate the other night on Twitter um, about, well, you know, I asked the question, why would Garrett Cole want to come to Seattle? And somebody took offense to that, apparently. He said, well, why wouldn't you want to come to Seattle? Well, it's pretty simple. Garrett Cole just played in a World Series. Right. He uh, is only 29 years old, which means he's got, you know, five, six, seven. He's got maybe five years left in his prime. Um, so basically this contract that he's about to sign is going to cover the rest of his prime. Why would he go to Seattle, who hasn't won anything in 18 years, when teams like the Astros, who just went to the World Series, the Yankees, who lost to the Astros in the ALCS, the Dodgers, maybe the Nationals, you know, or his hometown, or the Angels who are near his hometown. The Padres are closer than the Mariners are. Garrett Cole's going to have his his pick. He's going to get to choose where he wants to play. So, other than money, what's the incentive for Garrett Cole to choose Seattle? Oh, but what about Robinson Cano? Yeah, he chose Seattle because of the money. By all accounts, the best offer that Cano got outside of the Mariners' 10-year, $240 million contract offer was a 7-year, $170 million offer from the Yankees. $70 million is what the Mariners had to give Robinson Cano to get him to leave New York and come to Seattle. $70 million more dollars. That was the Seattle tax. It's really hard to think of a free agent that came to Seattle for any other reason than that Seattle offered significantly more than the rest of the market did. Think about it. Mariner signed Nelson Cruz. $14 million for a DH coming off a PED suspension in his late 30s. And they were willing to give him four years when it sounds like nobody else was willing to give him more than two. They overpaid for Nelson Cruz, and that worked out. So did the Cano thing, you know, they got good value out of the Cano, out of the Cano contract. Thankfully, they were able to trade it before it started to get really bad. They got incredible value out of Nelson Cruz, but those were both overpays. 
they had to overpay the market to keep to get them here. Keeping guys here is a different story. Typically, once people get to the Northwest, they fall in love with it. And at that point, they may be willing to take a few, you know, a few hundred thousand or a million or so dollars off of their desired contract per year to stay here. Getting people to stay in Seattle hasn't really been a problem. Getting free agents to come here has been unless you're going to open up the checkbook. So taking that back to our Garrett Cole conversation, um, if the Angels are willing to give him $34 million a year, AAV, are you going to go to – how much do you have to go to get to get Cole to come to Seattle and not play with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani right next to the place where he grew up, where he was born and raised and went to college? How many more millions of dollars per year are you going to have to give Cole to convince him not to sign with the Dodgers who can win the World Series next year? Five, six million dollars a year? You're going to pay Garrett Cole $40 million a year? I mean, you can. And that would be fun and exciting. But we still have to live in a reality where the Mariners have to put up a team of 25 other players and they're not going to have a $230 million payroll. It's not going to happen. The Mariners are probably going to sit, when all is said and done, in the 180, maybe the 190 range. I don't think they're ever going to go above the luxury tax. Maybe on a one-year, hey, we're, we're close to the World Series. This guy, I think, puts us over the top. Um, and this winter, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll figure out a way to get under the luxury tax. Maybe that's a situation where they go over it. But the Mariners are not going to spend $200 million on their payroll. I think the highest they've ever gone is 180, 181. They're not going to 200, at least not anytime soon. So back to the question of if the Mariners had the second highest payroll in baseball, would they make it, would they make the playoffs in 2020? No, no, I don't think they would. Not unless we're talking about Mitch Hanniger stays healthy all year and repeats his 2018 J.P. Crawford hits his absolute ceiling and is a borderline all-star shortstop. Marco Gonzalez, Yusei Kikuchi, Justice Sheffield, they all pitch like number three starters. The bullpen goes from one of the worst units in baseball to one of the best. Malik Smith bounces back to 2018. And one of the young guys pops in left field. And, oh, by the way, you still need Shed Long to be a good second baseman. You need Tom Murphy to repeat his 2019 season. You need Omar Narvaez to do the same. No. Adding $100 million in payroll, it's it more than likely is going to help you win in 2020. But what are you going from? 68 wins to 77? Who cares? It doesn't matter. It might make you feel better in the short term, and it would be a lot of fun but at the end of the day, does it get you to a World Series? No. Not until 2021 at the earliest. Short of trading for Mike Trout and signing Garrett Cole and Anthony Rendon, there's nothing the Mariners can do this offseason that are going to make them playoff contenders on paper. It's just the reality of the situation. Because you can't buy your way there. Even the even the Yankees, look at all the young talent they have that's not making any money. The Dodgers have Walker Bueller, who's not making any money. They have Corey Seager, who's still making well below market value. Yes, the Dodgers spend money, but they still have young stars coming out of their system. Look at the Astros. They had Bregman, Correa, Springer... Uh, Altuve on nothing deals for for three years, three, four years. Now they have Jordan Alvarez. They have Josh James, right? They're just not, the Mariners just don't have that player yet. Now, if Jared Kelnick or Julio Rodriguez comes up some point in 2020 
and has the same impact that Jordan Alvarez did or Walker Bueller or any of those guys, then maybe it's a different story next winter. But right now, they don't have that young, cheap superstar that they need. Look at the Braves. They have Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies. And Acuna signed an extension, so he's making a bit more money, but he's still an absolute bargain. By what he get, eight years, $100 million at 21 years old? The Braves bought out Acuna's, you know, prime, basically his entire prime. That's a six, seven win player right there. They bought him out for $100 million. It's incredible value. And they still aren't paying Mike Soroka anything. They still have an incredibly deep farm system. Mariners just aren't there. They're not there. Someday they may be, but just adding $100 million in payroll, even if you told me those players are going to be good, it's not enough. The Mariners aren't going to make the playoffs in 2020. It doesn't matter you know, how high their payroll goes. It's just it's too soon to expect that. Um, could they surprise people? Sure, it's always a possibility. What was it, the 2014 team? The, the bullpen was incredible. It was just kind of a no-name bullpen, and all, all of them had career years, basically. What, they went 85 games? That could happen. I mean, it's it's highly unlikely, but so was that team. They did it. So I'm not going to say it, it can't happen, but, I mean, you're talking about probably a one-in-a-thousand shot, and that's just not really worth you blowing up your entire plan to take that .001% of a chance that you make the playoffs. So it's a fun question, and there's a lot to think about and digest there, but ultimately, no. The Mariners could have the highest payroll in baseball in 2020, and I don't think they make the playoffs. Thanks for the question, Scott. I, I'm assuming that's your name <laughs> just by your Twitter handle. If it's not, let me know. Um, that is that is a really good question, and it is a fun one too. Um, and sometime relatively soon, maybe even next winter, we can have a serious conversation about that. So, um, thank, like I said, thanks for the question, and uh, we'll probably discuss something similar a year from today. So, um, we'll see how 2020 goes first. Anyways, uh, let's move on here to our next question uh, from Chris. Uh, Chris is on Twitter at zipkidcw. Uh, he sends us a lot of questions. They're usually pretty good, so um, we appreciate that. This time around, Chris would like to know, what is the timeline for when you'd expect to see Jerry sign some free agents? Um, he adds that uh, he adds that uh, he assumes that it'll be till the end of free agency. Um, but is there anyone we should get excited about who Jerry could sign this month? Uh, Jerry could sign anybody this month. Free agency is open. You can sign any free agent you want now. Um, it's been open since the 5th, I believe, uh, the 4th. So uh, Jerry can sign anybody this month. As for when he will sign free agents, you know, based on what he's been saying about him looking for opportunity buys and, you know, it, he's going to add – Certainly a plethora of minor league free agents, probably minor league free agents with, you know, big league resumes. But typically, if you're looking to sign guys on one year deals, you know, highly incentivized players aren't going to jump at those those offers the first few weeks of free agency. They're going to be much more apt to wait until after the winter meetings where they have a better grasp of their market. Because think about if you're. Just if you're Julio Tehran or, you know, if you're Michael Waka, right? And the Mariners come to you and they say, hey, we'll give you one year, $6 million. Come pitch for us this winter. Well, if you're Michael Waka, you say, okay, well, can't is that the best offer I'm going to get? If I sign that now on November 7th, what if I wait a month and I get one year at $9 million? Or what if I get two years at $20 million? You know, there's just not a lot of incentive for free agents to sign right now. Um, I think there's been one free agent signing, and that was just a procedural move for Tyler Flowers. Um, you know, basically he was 
his option was declined, and then he signed right back with the team for what he would have made anyways. So just kind of a procedural payroll move there. Free agents aren't really apt to sign, and so we talk a lot about teams and how Major League Baseball is at fault for, for you know, how long some of these free agents have to wait. Well, part of that's true. A lot of that's also the players and their agents saying, we're going to wait because your market today may not be your market two weeks from now. If the team's interest, if a team's interested in Michael Waka, and then that same team goes out and trades for a starter or two, they're probably not that interested in Michael Waka anymore. The team who traded away the starters, all of a sudden they might be interested in Michael Waka. So there's just not a lot of incentive for players to sign early. Um, there's not a lot of incentive for clubs to sign players early. They're still working through their trades. They're talking to people. And trading for a player is almost always going to be more beneficial to you in the long run than signing them to a free agent contract. So there's a lot of incentive for players to wait around to sign. There's a lot of incentive for teams to wait around to sign free agents. And so, you know, the idea that free agency lingers on way longer than it should, I mean, it's probably true, but also there's blame on both sides it's not just the teams saying oh i'm going to be super cheap i mean that really hasn't been the case i mean bryce harper got 330 million dollars manny machado got 300 it took them a little longer than it used to to get that but they still got it right so i'm just not sure that you know free agency is just as cut and dry as people want to make it um like i said if jerry is going to sign you know those one-year type of prove-it deals then those probably are going to wait until you know january or yeah you know december january maybe even february um you know players aren't just going to jump on a one-year offer all that often um but we'll see like i said jerry can sign anybody at any time um i think if he's going to sign somebody here in the next few i don't know next week or so Probably going to be somebody like Shogo Akiyama, who is a free agent, does not need to be posted by his Japanese team. He can sign whenever. And that could be a guy that goes pretty fast because I don't think his market is going to be significantly, you know, it's not going to be robust. So I think it's just a matter of, I, th- I think the salaries are, everybody's going to be willing to pay him roughly the same amount. So I think, you know, it's just, hey, which, which situation do you like better? We're not talking about Otani where, you know, he can travel to all these different places, get a feel for where he likes and all that. Uh, We're talking about Akiyama, who's probably going to have five or six offers. They're probably all going to be, you know, within a million bucks AAV of each other. So for him, it's just about where do I feel comfortable? And, you know, if he makes that decision here in the next week or so, then I think he's probably the first quote-unquote big name to sign just because there's not a lot of variability there. So um, I think the Mariners are going to sign a free agent, a rather significant one, um, significant in air quotes. If they're going to do that, I think it would probably be a guy like Akiyama. Um, but in general, I think they're going to focus their free agent efforts on a starting pitcher. And since they're looking for one-year deals, I think you're probably going to have to wait a little while on that. Um, and we already know that you know Jerry's not a big free agent guy. Jerry would much prefer the trade route. So, you know, I, I, I think the winter meetings, realistically, is probably the first time they'll sign somebody, um, or at least a name that people recognize, probably the, around the winter meetings, I think, would be about right. Unless, again, it's Akiyama. Maybe he signs before. But, yeah, I think it's the winter meetings, so... Uh, thanks for the question, Chris. It's a good one. Um, might have to wait a little while, but uh, that's all right. We got nothing but time in the winter. All right, let's go. Ahead. Let's move on to Dave Long's question on Twitter. Uh, his Twitter handle is at at Davos Flavo Flavo at da- Davos Flavo. Okay. Um, Dave wants to know um, if you look into the future into the future two years. Who will be at the top of the M's rotation? 
and are those pitchers in the organization now? And if not, how do the M's acquire them? So uh, three questions there um, that I can't honestly possibly answer. Uh, two years in the future is a long way. Uh, even trying to predict what's going to happen next year is basically impossible and a little bit ridiculous. Um, but uh, two years from now, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to tell you. Um, I think if the Mariners had their choice, it would be, you know, some combination of Gilbert, Kirby, um, Kikuchi, you know, in some order. Um, but I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't know what to tell you. Um, talking about opening day 2021, I can't even tell you who's on the opening day roster in 2020. I mean, so I, I, I don't know. Two years from now, we'll be, I guess two years from now, we'll be done with the 2021 season. So we're talking 2022. <laughs> That's even harder. Um, so I'm sorry. I, I just, I can't answer that question for you. Um, I, I, I think I can answer or at least, you know, offer a better explanation to the next two questions that you had. Um, are those pitchers in the Mariners organization right now? When you say top of the rotation, I mean, are you talking about an ace? Or are you just talking about a one and a two? Because I don't think the Mariners have an ace in their rotation right now. I don't think they have a future ace in their rotation right now. Um, but again, two years away, any, a lot can happen. So that could change. Um, but I look at some of the big names in the Mariners' uh, organization – I'm sure you're thinking about when you write that question, um, you know, is Logan Gilbert a one? I don't think so. Or he's not an ace. I don't think, I, I think he's probably a, a solid number two um, or a really, really good number three. Uh, Zach Wheeler-esque, which is a good pitcher. Um, George Kirby is probably a number three. Uh, there's possibility there that he jumps up to a number two. Um, but a number one or a number ace, I don't, I don't think so. I think Kikuchi is probably a three. You know, Marco's a four. Sheffield and uh, and Dunn, they could be threes. They could also both be back into the bullpen guys. So, um, you know, I, I just don't see them having a, that true ace in their organization right now. Um, however, a lot of things can change. Nobody thought Corey Kluber was going to be an ace. Nobody thought Jacob DeGrom was going to be an ace. Um, you know, and they both, they both are or were at some point. So, um, things can change. Pitchers can add velocity. They can add a pitch. They can find a, you know, a way of deceiving hitters, uh, a change to their, their mechanics. Uh, a million things can happen to help a pitcher, uh, take that next step. And if Gilbert is as good as I think he is, um, then it wouldn't shock me to see him jump up to be a number one uh and a num you know we're talking number one number two ace those are all subjective terms we all have different definitions of how that works number two is a really good starting pitcher um for me at least that's that's a borderline all-star every year is a number two uh zach granke is a two maybe a three even um you know garrett cole is an ace justin verlander is an ace um Guys like Mike Soroka, he's probably a two. Jack Flaherty is probably a two. Um, those guys have potential to be ones. Um, but there's very few aces, in my opinion. There's maybe six or seven aces in baseball right now. Scherzer, Strasburg. And Strasburg might even be just a one, not an ace. Uh, Cole, Verlander. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, and that will annoy people. Um, but a guy like Shane Bieber is probably a good example here. That's a guy who, um, you know, is probably was thought of as like a number four uh, at best, and he's right now he's a number two or a number one even. Um, so those type of things do happen. So it is possible that that guy's in the organization, and it's possible it's a guy we're not even talking about. I mean, it could be Brandon Williams. Brandon Williams, then. Um, it could be uh, – Heck, it could be Juan Thin. It could be some kid in the Dominican Summer League right now that's throwing 92 miles an hour 
and then you look up next summer and he's throwing 96 with a wicked slider. Those things happen. So um, we'll see how all that takes uh, all that takes shape. Um, but if I had to guess right now, no, that that ace pitcher that you want you know you you want to hand the ball to in game one of a playoff series. I don't think he's on the roster or in the organization right now. Uh, he could be, but I don't think he is. And then finally, um, how do the Mariners acquire him? Uh, the answer to that is probably via trade. Um, you kind of look at the aces that have been acquired recently. You look at Garrett Cole, trade. Justin Verlander, trade. Um, even, you know, you, you start looking at guys like um, Chris Sale, trade. David Price was acquired via trade. Um, you know, Max Scherzer is a free agent signing, right? So it's not impossible. The next team that has Garrett Cole, that's going to be a free agent signing, but he was originally acquired via via trade. That's probably the way it's going to happen, especially when you factor in the Jerry Depoto, um, you know, question or the factor, the Depoto factor into the equation. Jerry likes to trade. So that's probably where the guy's going to come from. As for names, I don't know. I can't tell you who's going to be out there in two years. Um, I can't tell you if I had to bet money or place a bet on one particular pitcher. I'm probably betting on Blake Snell being the guy who's the the ace that the Mariners acquire one winter, um, if he still is, in fact, an ace. Uh, but Snell has ties to the, to the Northwest, right? He's from the Seattle area. He's a big UW fan. He spends a lot of time here. And he's on, right now he's on the Rays, who are good, but they're still the Rays, which means at some point Snell is going to become too expensive for them to keep, and they'll trade him. The Mariners would be really interested in that. And probably they're going to trade him you know, sometime either between next winter or the winter after that, right when the Mariners say they want to compete. So uh, it's going to be expensive. If Snell is what you know he has been, uh, particularly two years ago, if he w- is what he was last year, then that's that's a pretty good number two, but not a number one. But that's basically what we're looking at here. That's the idea. So it's going to be expensive, um, but it's also almost universally better to go and trade for your ace than try and sign him, uh, because the trade cost alone is not going to be more detrimental than the money. And I know anytime you suggest the Mariners trade for somebody rather than pay somebody else, there's always the, yeah, because they're cheap mantra. Just not the case. I mean, would you rather have Garrett Cole at seven years, $240 million? Or would you rather have Blake Snell at, you know, three years, $30 million? I mean, you'd probably rather have Snell. So we're talking significant savings. And while Cole is a better pitcher, certainly, is he $30 million a year better? No, he's not. So it just seems to benefit teams more when they trade for that ace. You're certainly almost always going to get better value than if you give up money for him. So, yeah, long uh, long answer short here. I don't know what who's going to be at the top of the marriage rotation in two years. I, I can't possibly know that. It's way too far away. I don't know who's going to be at the top of the rotation this year, right? Uh, part two, I don't think there's an ace in the organization right now that could change. I think there's a lot of, you know, number threes and even a few number twos and number. There's a lot of number threes and fours. And I think there might be one or two number twos, possibly a number one, but I don't see an ace if that's what you're asking for. Um, and how do the Mariners acquire that top of the rotation starter? They probably trade for one. Um, I, I think that's really the only answer. I, I don't see them going big in free agency. They might sign a guy like James Paxton, and Paxton's probably a number two. But I think to get that number one or that ace, they're going to have to trade for it, and that'll hurt. They'll have to give up some of their good prospects, but that's why they're building this depth. Remember, the Mariners are going to add the number six overall prospect in their mind, or, you know, a top six prospect in their mind 
to their farm system in June after the draft. The Mariners are going to have four picks in the top, four picks in the top 80. So they're going to continue to replenish that farm system. So while yes, you're going to have to trade away some really good players to get that that ace, you're going to be able to restock and reload. And right now, the Mariners are showing that they are quite good at drafting and developing. Took a few years, but we're to that point now where it's safe to say the Mariners are pretty good at the draft and develop part. Um, and we'll see. You know, these guys still have to hit and perform at the big league level, but there's really no question they're significantly better at it now than they ever were in the uh, in the past, um, particularly under the Zorensic era. So we'll see how that works. But, uh, yeah, trading for your ace is probably the way to go. Uh, thanks for the question, Dave. Let's move on to our final question of this podcast. This one comes from uh, Travis Johannes at Travis underscore uh, Johannes on Twitter. Uh, he wants to know what's a realistic prospect for prospect a la Stower, or Stowers for long trade you would like to see Jerry pull off. <sighs> well, I don't really have specific players in mind for this. I do think you'll see something like it. Um, you know, we we saw Jerry pull off the the Marco for or the Tyler O'Neill for Marco Gonzalez trade, right? You mentioned Stowers for long. I think you know that's something that could happen again this winter. It makes some sense, and I think if you're going to do that, what you're going to do is pretty similar to what Jerry did last uh, last winter. That is trading a guy who is a little bit further away from the big leagues, still has some upside, and doesn't need to be added to the 40-man roster for a few years for somebody who is closer to the big leagues and is going to have to be added to your 40-man, otherwise be exposed to the uh, free agent or the uh, Rule 5 draft. And I think that trade could be coming relatively soon because teams have to, in the next two weeks from yesterday, they have to announce their 40-man roster and every prospect who is not on the 40-man after that day who qualifies for uh, the Rule 5 draft is going to be made available. And rather than, you know, DFA guys off the 40-man that they like or risk losing those players in the Rule 5 draft for nothing, teams are more likely to try and find a trade. They're going to try and trade somebody who needs to go on the 40-man or you'll lose them for somebody who doesn't need to be on the 40-man yet. So that's the kind of deal I think you're looking at here. Um, you know, we mentioned him in the off-season plan. We mentioned him pretty much every podcast, it seems like. Jake Cronenworth of the Tampa Bay Rays. Shortstop slash right-handed pitcher. 96-mile-an-hour fastball with a pretty good curveball, above-average curveball. Plays uh, average defense at short. He can handle second and third as well. Good enough athlete to play in the outfield. Line drive approach, gets on base, takes walks, started to develop a little bit more power uh, last year. He's going to be 26 years old. He has to be added to the 40-man this winter, or I would venture to say it's a lock that the Rays lose him in the Rule 5 draft. So that's the type of guy I could see them you know, targeting, and the Rays have a bunch of those guys. Uh, you know, a little more upside. You're talking about a guy like Ronaldo Hernandez, the catching prospect for the race. He has to be added. Um, and the race, certainly they can do that, right? There's guys on the 40-man right now that they probably don't need, uh, but they are going to sign more free agents. They're going to trade more guys. So it seems pretty likely that the Rays would be interested in moving you know, two or three of these guys who they're probably going to lose at some point this winter anyways. So why not trade them and get something for it? And if you're the Mariners, yes, you're high in the Rule 5 draft order. You'll pick sixth, right? And yes, you are, you know, going to be high in the waiver priority as well. Trading for these guys has value for you because you don't have to fight the five teams that are ahead of you to get that player. And in particular, the Rule 5 draft with Cronenworth as the example here. Let's say, well, why would you trade for Cronenworth when you can just draft him in the Rule 5? Well, are you sure he's going to be there at pick six? 
You might not be. But even if you're not that big of a Cronenworth fan and you say, well, we'll just take whoever's left at six. Well, if you trade for that guy instead of draft him in the Rule 5, you have to put him on your 40-man roster. But you don't have to have him in the big leagues all year. You can still have him in AAA. And that's where the value is. You trade for Cronenworth before November 20th. You stick him on your 40-man roster. He's either going to be your utility guy or you can put him in AAA, do with him what you want, and have him ready to go in a few months to the big league level. You don't have to stick him on your bench for three months. I think Cronenworth's ready to play in the big leagues right now, and I think he'll be just fine there. Uh, not a star or anything, but I think he'll be a solid, useful piece. But if you trade for him, as opposed to just wait and draft him in the Rule 5, you don't have to. You don't have to have him on your major league roster to start the year. It's more flexible that way. So, um, Cronenworth is kind of the guy I've narrowed in on this winter. He's one of my favorite prospects in the entire game. I'm absolutely intrigued by that skill set that he has, um, and I think there's a good chance that he gets traded uh, this winter. So that's kind of one of the guys. But the the Rays themselves, man, they have a lot of those type of guys. Ronaldo Hernandez. Needs to be added to the 40, man. Uh, or otherwise, he'll probably be drafted in the Rule 5. He's not ready to be in the big leagues, but, I mean, the guy is one of the you know five or six best catching prospects in baseball. Um, so that's the guy who needs to be added. Uh, Jake Cronenworth, Lucius Fox, um, those are guys. Wesley <coughs> uh, Linares, those, that's another guy who needs to be added to the 40, man, or he's going to get drafted. Uh, they have, a, or could be drafted, I should say. The Rays themselves have a lot of guys, and this is a question I'll be, I'll probably be better able to answer as we get closer to the deadline to add to the 40-man. But I think the Mariners are probably going to trade for at least one of these Jake Cronenworth type of you know players. And if that they're going to do that, then it's probably going to happen here in the next two weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Um, We'll see how all that works out. But, yeah, I, I do expect there to be at least one prospect-for-prospect prospect type of trade. Um, you know, and maybe it's not particular. Maybe it's, you know, a prospect who has some major league seasoning but isn't, you know, like Marco Gonzalez. I think most of us consider that basically a prospect-for-prospect prospect swap. But Marco had some time at the big leagues by then. And I think you could see something like that. But, yeah, I, I think – a trade featuring two prospects is likely. Um, at the very least, you'll see something like Gonzalez for or uh, O'Neill for Gonzalez. But I think you know if you're looking for that Stowers for um, Shed Long type of trade, I think you're looking at something. You know, from the Mariners' perspective, like I don't know Juan Then and uh, Juan Then to Tampa. For Jake Cronenworth, right? Um, I think that's probably the type of deal you're looking at. Um, you know, uh, Juan Caracuto, Dom Thompson-Williams is one of those guys that has to be added to the 40-man. Otherwise, he'd make a lot of sense. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how all that works out. Austin Shenton, maybe. Possibility there. Uh, so we'll see how all that works out. But uh, I, I thank you for the question. It is a fun one. And, yeah, I do expect to see a trade like that. I just I can't give you names. Um, if I did, if I could, I would I would say Jake Cronenworth is the one guy I'm watching. But we'll see how all that works out. But, uh, again, thanks for the question. So thank you guys for all the questions, but that's going to put a wrap on this episode of the podcast. Like I said, hopefully Ty will be back next week. Um, you know, it's, it's tough sometimes just uh, to roll through a podcast by yourself. Uh, this is one that ended up being about an hour. So that's a lot of talking for me. Hopefully next time, hopefully next week, Ty will be ready to go, and we can get back to kind of our normally scheduled podcast uh, format. Um, as I said at the beginning of the show, please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any new episodes. Also, visit SotoMojo.com for all your Mariners news, content, rumors, uh, what have you. It's, it's a good time of year to go to SotoMojo.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at SotoMojoFS. We have a Facebook page, the Soto Mojo Facebook page that you can like if you are on Facebook. Um, 
and again, if you guys want to write for us this this winter, um, we're always open to, open to adding new team members um, to our to our squad here. Um, it's a busy time of year. There's plenty to talk about, and it's a lot of fun uh, to be a Mariners fan in the off season, particularly with Jerry Depoto as your GM. So that is going to wrap it up here for the Soto Mojo podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you in another life.